Welcome to Elite Rugby SNC Podcast, the best podcast talking all things rugby and strength and conditioning. At Elite Rugby SNC, we provide athletes with strength and conditioning programs that provides you with everything you need to become a beast and take your game to the next level. No matter what stage of the year or season, Elite Rugby SNC has a program for you. You can try before you buy, so try our seven-day, seven-dollar trial to get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. Also, sign up to our newsletter and receive free bonus content each and every single week. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. Today, rugby union athlete Cam Holt joins me on the podcast. Cam plays lock and currently captains the Tuggeron Vikings in the John Eden Cup in Canberra. On this episode, we talk about working full-time and playing rugby union. Cam talks about his strength and conditioning journey and how it has helped him to increase his performance. Cam talks about lineouts and provides fantastic tips on attacking and defending lineouts. We discuss how Cam has become the captain for the Vikings and how he has handled that responsibility. And finally, Cam also answers the Triple H, so a hardship hero and highlight in his rugby career. For this episode, we did use a new podcast software, so it seems it went well, but there might be some pauses between uh, questions and answers. Still getting used to the new system. So thanks for joining me on this episode, Cam. It was awesome, and I really appreciate it. Enjoy. So good day, Cam. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Kizza. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm going well today. Thanks, mate. So how's the body going, mate, after a, after a long season of rugby? Oh, you know, a bit bumped and bruised. I've still got the black toenails, you know, when you get stood on in malls and that. But everything's pretty good. I've got a little bit of tendinopathy in my right knee, but other than that, I'm tracking pretty well. That's good, mate. So growing up as a young lad, how did you end up playing rugby? Yeah, it's actually, it's pretty funny. So I was a really beef, like beefy kid. And um, I was obsessed with like wrestling, with like WWE and sort of trying to tackle and play fight my brothers. And my mum was like, you need to like do something to take your energy out. So she took me down and she didn't realise like there's two codes of rugby. So she's like, oh, we're going to take you down and play rugby league. So I was like, yes, I'm going to play like the Raiders, this, that and the other. Then she took me down and there were scrums and that and I had no idea. So I was a little chubby loose head prop that used to hang out on out on the wing because I, I had videos my mum used to show me and it was me running out onto the field and I'd be puffed as soon as I got out there. So it was a crack up. But yeah, I've loved it ever That's since. Funny, I started I think... when I was nine. But yeah, go on. Yeah, I think, I think that's um, a common thing as well, starting around when you're nine years age. And yeah, I don't think for me, it was like growing up playing rugby. It was just the start off of union. There, there was no confusion between the two. So it's funny that your mum <laughs> sort of get, got a bit confused there. And uh, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go play, you know, Raiders and all that. And then, oh, shit, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. But, you know, she's just like like a normal mum. And we were living around the Woden area and she... It pains me to say, but I had to go on. I, she took me to Royals training. So I went and played for Royals for a year. And then we realized there was a local team in, in East. So uh, I ended up playing for East. And for two years in a row, mate, uh, we won the grand final um, in third division. And I was sitting okay. on that blind side. That's pretty good. Every single game. <laughs> 
no, smart there, you know, just, just saving your energy out on, out on the wing, you know, just, just playing that strategic game. I think I'm more played for the Killer Pythons after the game. <laughs> no, that's pretty good, mate. No, that's awesome. So majority of the rugby athletes who aren't professional rugby athletes on the side while working, like most, most people work full-time or study full-time if you're not a professional athlete. It's just the way it is. How are you currently managing working full-time and also playing rugby as well um, here in Canberra in the John O'Dan Cup? Yeah, mate, it's tough. Like, you know, some, some days it's a battle. I'm, I'm a refrigeration mechanic by trade. So, you know, I'll spend eight to 10 hours out in the tools and then bang, roll straight into sort of weight training and then into actual rugby training. So some days it's hard, but I suppose when you, you know, you want to do well and do well for the team, you'll sort of make that sacrifice, you know, have the, the right food, the waters and all that. Um, and I think it's just a mindset thing. Like if you're going into training and going, oh, I'm stuffed from a day on the tools, like, oh, I've been out in the sun, rah, rah, rah. Well, of course you're not going to train well. But if you sort of walk in there with the right attitude, ready to go, um, give it your best, you know. And I also often think, like, I feel a little bit more mobile being on the tools, like bending and trying to squat down and just being, you know, sort of um, conscious of my body. I, I think it's sort of helped a little bit in my mobility. When, when I used to, I was at university prior to that, I did a lot of sitting down. I always found I had a tight back all the time. And it's quite the opposite now that I'm working, you know, eight, 10 hours a day, my back's sweet. That's so just something that I've picked up on. Mm, no, it's very interesting. Yeah, like sitting down just sucks all day, you know, and then, then you're coming out to training and trying to um, then move around. So, yeah, if you are out in the tools and, and sort of had the luxury of not being in sort of one position all day, so like if you're constantly bending over, then, yeah, you're going to have a sore back. But if you're able to move around, it does make a massive difference when you come to training. You might, you might feel a bit tired, um, but it's probably just making sure that you're fueling yourself. So do you have um, like a good snack before um, training comes along? Yeah. So there's a little company in Canberra here. It's called Gym Meals Direct. So I generally, um, I'll have just like a normal breakfast, have one of those for lunch. And then, <coughs> just, excuse me, sorry, just before actual like weight training and training, I'll have another Gym Meals Direct with a bunch of fruit, music bars, heaps of water. I think that's the biggest one for me. Like I drink, you know, six to seven liters of water a day. It's nuts because I just feel like I'm out in the sun a lot of the time. Um, and mm. I never want that feeling when I'm turning up to training, feeling thirsty sort of thing. Cause I just feel, I don't know, that's taking my mind away from footy. Um, mm. so yeah, that's probably hundred percent. Like it's, 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 mm, it's probably one of those things with, with water that you probably don't realize that you, you probably haven't had enough of, especially out on the train. Mm. If you'd, just working constantly and you, you sort of just forget. And like you said, working in the sun can make a massive um, difference in terms of if you're hydrated or not. And then it's probably the opposite as well for people at uni. If you're just sitting down a day and haven't been drinking because you really haven't been doing much physical work, then you're going to come to training. You're not putting your, yourself in the best position to train and you'll get sort of halfway through and you're like, oh shit, I'm feeling a bit dizzy here or something like that. So yeah, that's a great point there, mate. Drinking a shit ton of water. So you're ready to go for the session. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's sort of my big thing. That's awesome. Right? 
What do you do during the week to make sure that you've got this routine of um, working and training and to sort of set yourself up to be able to train really, really well besides the nutrition aspect? Is there, is there anything else that you do during the week? Oh, I sort of, um, I'll have kind of routines around training days. So like if I'm not um, training, say like a day off, I'll be making sure I'm just doing that little bit extra recovery. Because as I said, like doing a physical job, it's so important. Um, so whether that's like stretching in front of TV, um, the big one that I really like is like some sort of water immersion, whether it's like cold or hot, um, sort of like even as simple as just having a bath at home. I think that's unreal just to sort of lie down, chill out, put the feet up, you know, watch some YouTube or something like just sort of try to relax around non-training days. Um, and just get away from footy as well. Like talk to fellas at work about random things, not always like thinking footy all the time because um, we'll probably get into it. But back in the day, that used to absolutely consume me. All I cared about was rugby union, rugby union. But there's so much more out there than footy. It's got to be that balance. So, yeah, that's probably the biggest take. Mm. 100%, mate. It's, it's, yeah, it's such a great take on it because you can get focused too much on rugby and you just can't switch off. And I think the great players out there from club or if you're watching on TV are the ones who can switch off and focus on other things like what's going on in your life. And I know there's a certain TV show or even something different, just like a different sport that isn't rugby. So you can just sort of switch off and just be a spectator instead of an athlete at times. I think that can really help. And yeah, hundred percent agree there, mate. You got to be able to take your mind off rugby because it, it, it makes a massive difference. For sure. So how has strength and conditioning training helped you over your rugby career? Uh, I think um, S&C is sort of, in the early part of like when I was younger and Colts and that, I thought all, you know, all that mattered was trying to lift as much as you could. How much I bench press was how good I was at footy. But I think the big one that I've sort of taken home from now is, and, you know, I've listened to the podcast from all the pro guys, just being consistent with it, not worrying about sort of your numbers, but every single week going in and just having a dig, to be honest, not not trying to push yourself crazy, but every single week trying to get that little bit better, being consistent with it. And the other take home that I probably have from it as well is it's what's between your ears more than how much you can lift in the gym. Like there's so many guys that I played with that like they're an absolute freak in the gym and they get out onto the field and then, you know, barely making tackles. And so it's a tool to help, but it's not the be all and end all. So you definitely need to focus on it, but don't put all your energy into it. Just like that balance that I was talking about earlier. So like I'm in season, I'm definitely training three times a week without a doubt. Like I'm always getting those three sessions in because I feel prepared for the game. But if, you know, there's one session where I probably didn't lift as heavy or as good as I would have liked, I just go, oh, so be it. I've still gone in and actually done some work. You know what I mean? Mm, 100%. It's, um, I was talking to a young athlete from uh, Mudgee yesterday, and he was telling me his program out there in um, – just telling me his SNC program and what he's doing and then the markers in the gym that he wants to hit. And I was like, Ooh, this is awesome, mate. Like, yeah, really cool. 
And then I was just reminding him because let's say, for instance, he's a halfback and he was sort of um, wants to improve his push press as well. And I was just telling him, make sure that you are sort of understanding why we're doing this testing and all that. It's, it's a great test and it's a great movement as well. I'm really a big fan of it. But if you're a halfback. Do you really need to be lifting something over your head in that position? So just think about when you are doing these testing modalities, um, yeah, you want to do well, but it's just like you said, it's not the be-all, end-all. You need to make sure that you're really yeah. good in your craft. So delivery of passing, speed of the breakdown, vision, you, you need to be doing all these little things because that's going to make the massive difference to your game. And if you make first 15 next year as well. So I was like to him, yeah, we can definitely help you in those those areas, but just make sure that you're working on your skill aspect because that's the thing at the end of the day is the most important to our sport. 100%. 100%. And when I was younger, like, because I'm quite a tall guy, I've sort of, I sort of was uh, sort of hell-bent on bench pressing a lot. I was like, oh, you know, the bench press means so much. It means I can hit blokes harder. Oh, I can only bench, you know, say 60 kilos. I want to bench 80, rah, rah, rah. And I focused on it so much. And really, at the end of the day, in rugby, when are you lying on your back, pushing someone? Like, it's not applied to the sport. I understand like it's a good movement to build up muscle, etc. You obviously know a lot more than I do, but you can't get caught up in these sort of numbers or how good you are at something. That's yeah. That's my yeah. take from it. Hundred percent. You gotta be able to apply that force. So we're building the yeah. force and the strength and power in the gym and making you really robust, but if you can't apply that force into the movements in, in rugby, then you haven't really done your job as a coach, but as an athlete as well. Mm-hmm. So what what are some other key things you have learned through S and C? Um the key things. I think as I said, the biggest one that I know it's it's not so much S and C, but it's sort of figuring out how you tick, like what's up here. In, in going into a game. So if you're one of those people that really need to get like a lot of strength training in, that's great for you. There's some guys that don't. I think it's more just doing what works for you. Obviously in a pro program, they're going to be doing it on a weekly basis. But on an amateur level, I think getting a coach, working with a coach that knows their stuff, like you guys, for example, and following that program to a team, um, and if they prescribe your weight, do that weight, you know? Um, cause as early on, I felt like I was just winging it the whole time. Like some weeks I'll be like, Oh, I feel pretty fresh. I'll go hard. And then other weeks I, Oh no, I don't feel so fresh. I won't go so hard. And oh, I'll just pick some random exercises today. Oh, I want to train chest today. One week I might do incline bench press. The next I might do just flat bench. Like I think it's that staying consistent, but also following that program that someone set out for you. And then, you know, the gains will come. Like I I did a program with yourself and I felt a massive difference in my strength, but also just, I suppose it's weird, but in my confidence and my body as well, because I know I've been, you know, training for months on end now, following a good program, progressively getting better and better. So I think that's the big one, that consistency and, following someone who knows what they're doing because they're an expert, right? Mm. No, I love that. It's, it's, it's something again, that, um, another 
um, 18 year old athlete reached out the other week again, and I got him to send me his program and it was a leg lower body program and it was doing some squats and it was doing some leg extensions, leg curls, some sissy squats and all, all these exercises that I probably wouldn't prescribe besides the barbell back squat. And I was like, okay, cool, mate. That's, that's, it's good that you're doing something and you've been doing it. And he, and he says he's strong, but um, he wants to get a bit more powerful and a bit more rugby strong was his terms, his words that he used. And I got him on doing a program and he's just in a couple of days. He's like, wow, this was something different. I, I've never done something like this. And when I say something different, it's very basic. It was, it was just the basic stuff, making sure that we're hitting different movement patterns, different muscles and all that. And he, he could feel the difference sort of straight away because he wasn't that fatigued at the end of the session. He felt pretty good, like he's done something, but he wasn't going to max um, effort or anything like that. And he was just shocked that he, that he hadn't experienced something like this before. And I was just like, really? Like, this is the basic stuff that we've been doing forever, like in terms of rugby stuff. So yeah, if you can get yourself a coach out there, it doesn't have to be elite rugby SNC, but if you do, it does make a bit of a difference, you know? Um, but just, yeah, just like you said, Cam, if you follow a consistent program and, and doing some exercises that actually going to help you become a better rugby athlete, then it makes a massive difference, um, to your, your performance, but also to your recovery as well. And just, um, yeah, can't, can't say any more about that. It was, it's, it's a great point there, mate. Yeah, I also like that what you said there where you don't feel fatigued after the sessions because, like, ultimately, S&C is an aspect of footy, but it's not rugby, right? We want to be the best rugby player we can be, not the best weightlifter. And I, I sort of I harp back onto that because when I used to train, I was sore all the time. I was like, oh, I'm going into games a little bit sore. But if you're following a program where, you know, the trainer is a rugby trainer and they're not, you know, smashing you, you go into games feeling confident, which is the biggest one. Like confidence is everything. But then also you're not feeling like beat up or tired. You're ready to go sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that mm. that point as well. Mm, 100%. And it, it, it's something that we all do when we're quite young. We just go in there and just pick a few exercises that we want to do, do them, or we see that because the, the older boys are doing them like that and just do whatever and then, yeah, you don't know any better until you start doing a proper program. Yeah, I remember following uh, bodybuilding.com, get a massive back and chest. So I followed that for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Yeah. yeah, but you do you do have a big chest and back, mate, so <clears throat> could have worked, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so what advice do you have for athletes on managing their bodies week in and week out um, to, to perform over the season? Yeah, I th you know, I sort of touched on it. I suppose it's the consistency, but it's also um, the recovery. Um, you know, doing those little things, you know, the water, as we said, the nutrition, because you, you can control that, right? And you can, you know what you're putting into your body. If you're rocking up to a footy, just had hungry jacks or whatever, you know you're not going to perform. The pros don't do that, nor should you, if you want to, you know, progress. But I think the biggest one is um, just switching off for it from it sometimes. You know, like don't get caught up in it. Um, do your reviews of games, this, that, and the other, and, but don't, you know, constantly thinking about footy because I sometimes would fall into that trap. And even this year, I'd sometimes fall into that trap and I'd be reviewing other teams and, you know, other lineouts, for example. And I'm going, shit, you know, it's a Wednesday. 
all I'm thinking about footy. I'd have dreams about you know rugby games, and it was becoming a bit too much. And I realised I need to take a step back. Um, and obviously, when it's go time, go for it. But when it's time to rest, just chill out, you know. Hundred mm, percent. If you if you can switch off, and if I add into that, having a really good night's sleep as well. So if you can switch mm. off throughout that day, of, if say if it's a Wednesday, that's your rest day. If you can get away from footy, be a bit more relaxed, then you're really going to make sure that you're getting a really good night's sleep. And that's probably the best way to be able to attack the next day and, and recover from a big session from the night before is, um, yeah, sleep and switching off. They go hand in hand in my, my, in my opinion, because if you can't switch off, then just like you said, you're going to be laying in bed thinking like, oh, how is, how am I going to attack that scrum or, how am I going to improve myself in the lineup to make sure we get up and just all these things that, you know, mm. you, you, it's 2am and you're like, shit, I haven't even slept yet and I need to wake up in five hours. Yeah. So yeah, definitely got to be exactly. able to switch off. So if you were going to switch off and flick on the TV, what's, what's um, going on in the, in the Holt household in terms of TV series at the moment? Uh, mate, me and the missus, uh, we're at the moment we've been watching um, oh, shit, I forgot the name of it. Uh, Power? Power? The, have, have you heard of it? It's like a, uh, a oh, show yeah. on stand. Yeah, it's yeah. about like yeah, isn't it? Isn't that? Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, we also love the old comedy. And then also sometimes we just turn it off and we just talk to each other. Like, she's a school teacher. She tells me about all her kids. I love the little stories about them and you know, it's funny as, and then I'll tell her about different things at work and how I'm going. And sometimes we even just play cards. Like we we sort of try to switch off from everything, like no TV at all. And just actually talk to each other because that's what we're here for, for each other kind of thing. So that's probably our biggest, mm. like, out, kind of thing. That's awesome, mate. Um, I'm sure she would have some pretty interesting stories being a school teacher yes. with some of the weird things that kids do. Yeah, 100%. So this off-season, what are you going to be focusing on in the gym, um, S&C-wise? Is there any sort of areas that sort of have stood out this, this season that you really want to attack this off-season? Yeah, 100%. So I've, I've thought about this um, after probably a few round games. I really want to work, work on my speed. I think... Um, being a tight five player, we, you know, we might get bogged down and trying to be as strong as we possibly can. Um, I still obviously train power, et cetera, but I really want to be like running speed improved. And then in that probably improve my elusiveness. Um, and probably the way that I'm going to go about that is, you know, get a coach to sort of instruct me on some different drills, but also my running technique, being a taller guy, I'm not going to lie. I've got shocking running technique. So I really want to improve that. Um, and then in the elusiveness, maybe just playing a little bit of like social touch, um, you know, on an amateur scale, when preseason sort of kicks off, you get all that aspect. But when you're in that off season, that you know, two to three month period, you're not really touching the footy. So you can't improve any of these skills. You're just going in and doing, you know, the weight training and the fitness. But when I can get that sort of just bit of throw around touch where I can practice maneuvering my body in and around running onto the ball or trying to get around an opponent, 
being a bigger guy, I think that's going to improve my game a little bit more because a lot of the time I've caught myself searching for contact. Like I want to, oh, I really want to run at this bloke. And I'm like, that's not really going to improve the team. If I can sort of use a bit of footwork later at the line, you know, that'll get us sort of a go forward carry. So those are my two biggest work ons. I really want to mm. improve. That's awesome, mate. I think the the touch aspect can add in some enjoyment back to it. You know, you're just going out there. Like, obviously, it's going to be competitive because you we're, we're rugby players, you know, and coaches. We always want to be some sort of competitiveness to us. But you'll probably bring that I don't know enjoyment back to just going out there on a, on an afternoon, the sun shining, and just throwing around the ball and just having a good time. And you might find um, sort of redefine why you want to play rugby next season and, and find something different about yourself and um, just, make, just make some good connections with some um, teammates of yours. Yeah, that's right. Just going to be ripping big long balls. <laughs> but no, I, 100%. That enjoyment, that enjoyment factor is massive when you're training. Um, and like the other thing that I, I do a lot in the off-season is a lot of combat training. So I do a lot of um, wrestling, Olympic Wrestling, as I said, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed that physical aspect. So I sort of fell onto that and have absolutely loved it. So, I, you know, do that and get that enjoyment, that contact aspect that you don't, as I said, have over that off-season period. And then doing a little bit of um, jiu-jitsu as well. So I know that the locks and this, this and that lying on your back in and around the knee locks kind of scares me a little bit, but just that grip strength and improving your body awareness that you, you know, you don't really experience in rugby and it just helps with those little like mm. contact skills and rocking and mauling hundred percent helps as a forward. That's awesome, mate. Is this, um, this is wrestling. It's just, you're just going out on the street and finding a guy like, Hey, you want to wrestle or is it in a gym? No, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> I wish. No, <laughs> it's in a gym. So Rock glass and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've been the past two off seasons. I've been going quite often, and sometimes I like if we had a bye week, I'd go for a little quick session as as well, just to sort of keep up that skill. Like it's, I know it's not sort of the same sort of contact as rugby, but it's a similar sort of contact. They do a lot of work with their necks, and uh, that's something that I've really improved on my strength there. There's a lot of sort of gymnastics and mobility, which being a taller guy, you know, has definitely improved my game. Um, and then the biggest thing, as I said before, it's given me a lot of confidence. You know, I've been wrestling guys at 130 mm. kilos. And then when I'm going into footy, a lot of the athletes are a lot smaller. So I've sort of had that confidence in contact and being in, um, you know, sort of gripping positions and which way like your arms need to be, getting underhooks, etc. So that's that's another thing that I'll keep ticking along in the off season. Because I know uh, a lot that's of the rugby league I follow, Yeah. I follow a lot of rugby league and I've noticed they do heaps of it. So having that aspect in union as well is pretty cool. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a different kind of fitness as well. Like, um, mm. there's, there is times where I do add a little bit of wrestling into a run and it just takes your breath away that wrestling. You're just like, geez, this is quite difficult to be able to do that. So it's a great way to change it up. Um, change your training up. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's definitely used a lot more in rugby league because they do like to wrestle. Whereas a uh, mm. union, we just want to get you to ground as fast as possible. So, but yeah, mm. still something to do in the off season. It's something different. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Hi everyone, we just wanted to take a break from this episode. We hope you are enjoying this episode so far, and also all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC newsletter today. We provide you free exclusive content each and every single week to our subscribers. Link in the bio. Remember to like, subscribe and share Elite Rugby SNC on social media to all your friends and families. So thanks again for your support and now back to the episode. So moving on to lineouts, uh, an area you you quite enjoy. Um, so lineouts. On an attacking lineout, what is your purpose? Like, what are you trying to focus on, and and in that process of of getting to lineout and and beating your opposition? Oh, I think yeah, the biggest thing, you know, I'm obviously an amateur player, like I'm no freak or anything like that. But the big one, whenever I try to address in the lineout, is I want that ball in that you know tens hand so we can play. So if that's either a tempo lineout or we go into a lineout where I've got a call in mind and then I can change it up where the space is. But ultimately, like you listen to all the great lineout jumpers and you watch them as well. Say, for example, Victor Matfield, he talks about, you know, speed on the ground and then speed in the jump. So you can beat people from just calling to space, for example. Oh, yep, there's a zone there at the back that's open. Oh, we'll take it if they give it to us. Or... I'm going to take this guy on, but I've got to be quicker than him, you know, because I don't want him to out jump me. So that's probably my biggest thing with attacking lineouts is identifying the space where I can go if it's an easy sort of take and trying to get up quicker than my opposition. That makes any sense. Hmm. I love that because, um, a previous rugby club that I was involved with, we, we didn't really have that much, um, I know height in the second rows, and one thing they did was was working on their speed and, and trying to play in areas that were advantage to us. So, yeah, I, lo- I love that aspect, being fast and all that. And um, it doesn't matter if you do, if you don't have the height; it, it does help a lot. Um, if you've got like a two meter person, you just chuck them up there with ease, you know, like a Frost or or Rihanna or something along those lines. But if if you don't have that that height, it's not the be or end or you can just move around, do some fake slips, um, and just do all that type of trickery to then get that person up. But it also comes back to that hooker, making sure that your hooker can throw yes. a good dart um, makes a massive difference as well. Yes. I sort of, I link the line out to somewhat of like a chess game, you know, like you've got different players that are all moving and you're trying to show your hand here, but then go somewhere else or you want to trick them into thinking that you're going to jump there and then maneuver it. You can go somewhere twice in a row. So they think, Oh yeah, that's a pattern. So they, move up there so you're always thinking two steps ahead um and some games you get it absolutely right like i've had games where i've done really well had 100 percent success rate in their line out i feel really proud and then others sometimes you're just beaten like if i'm honest it's it's a really hard area to do well in because you've got so many factors you've got the jump you've got the call sometimes you just get the call wrong sometimes the throws overthrown so it's a challenging area, but I absolutely love it. And I love sort of being in charge and trying to get, you know, a successful jump lift and call. 
Mm. It's probably it's probably the hardest area in the game, to be honest, because it's it's so evenly matched. Because you have to throw mm. it straight. You can't just throw it to the offside. Like you have to get it dead straight and that person's probably going to jump up at the same time as you and, and really disrupt you. So you've got to make sure that you've timed everything right to a T. Your throw is going to be on point. You've got to judge the wind a bit if you're at that hooker and you've got to make sure that you're lifting your jumper to your full, like to the full capacity, because if you miss it by an inch, the, the opposition can easily take it away from you. So yeah, it's, it's such an exciting contest and there's no easy, easy line outs these days. So um, yeah. Just, you just got to keep working at it and making sure that you're taking advice from, say, Victor Matfield or all the pros and then utilizing that in your um, in, in your team. Yeah, and that's the other thing, just watching. You know, you're watching the good jumpers and how they call. You know, I, I watched the Wallabies uh, on Thursday and I was so impressed with the amount of movement that they were using, but they were just, you know, absolutely most bamboozling the all-backs and then jumping up and the best one as a line act for is where you've gone up and they haven't even sent a pot up. It just feels like you feel like, yep, we've absolutely beaten them here. And that's like, that's an absolute, that's an mm. awesome feeling in my eyes. And like the Wallabies did so well. Yeah, that's a good one. Those. I also love the one where you're, you, you, they think you're going up and then they go up and then you're like, ha, yep. not, we're not going up now. And then you go up in front and of them or behind them. And yeah, and that's, go, that's a great yeah, one. Yeah, that's a good one as well. So when a couple of lineouts haven't gone your way, how do you bounce back and complete a successful lineout the next time around? Yeah, so that's, that's a really hard one. And sometimes like your confidence is down as a caller and you sort of, oh, I don't know if I can back this guy. He's dropped two in a row now. Can I um, you know, call to him again? But I suppose every now and then in a lineout, the caller, there's always a settling play. And... You know, you watch some teams, sometimes just like a quick throw to the hooker just to get the ball in and out so that you can sort of play off that or throw to the front where it's just an easy jump just to get your team back on side because sometimes when it starts falling apart, you have to bring all the boys in because they're going to start blaming each other. Oh, you're calling to the wrong space, etc. You just have to, take, you know, hit a banker. And as you said, if you have a two-meter lock, we'll just throw it straight to him because he's got that height. So I reckon that confidence needs to come back into the game. Mm, 100%. So that confidence hits something that you know is 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 your money ball. If that's our money ball, let's just go back to it, hit it, because it just takes one good line out to, to get everyone's confidence back and to settle down. Yes. Um, because, yeah, if, if you're constantly going to that same spot and they're picking you off or reading it easy... You're not doing anything good there. So, um, yeah, just like you said, you know, just go back to the process, bring the bring the squad in, have a little chat, get your breath under control, hit your money ball, let's give it to the 10, let's play. Yeah, and then, and also playing to the conditions, you know, like if you're calling the line out and it's blowing a gale, don't try and throw to the back. Like you're just putting your hooker under immense amount of pressure and the poor guy, like he's going to throw it and it might not go straight and then his confidence is down. So you then have to play around the front middle area. Um, you know, that's not really rocket science, but that's just sort of assessing how the, you know, the field is. Mm, 100%. I know, like a lot of times... So on I the... Play, no, sorry, just one more thing. And a lot of the times, like, on, when mate. I have played or, 
um, et cetera, is if you've got, say, a grandstand, you know you've got a bit of coverage, so you've got to take that into um, consideration. Some fields are very open, you know, the wind can pick up. So you've got to go, okay, you know, I'm in front of a grandstand here. I've got a little bit of safety. All right, we can throw to the back, for example. Oh, yeah, sorry to cut you off there. Mm, no, no, it's all good. It's always uh, challenging with um, using Zoom or Riverside podcasts, you know, because there's always that bit of a lag between when I finish and you start, you know. So, no. But that, that's that's a great point um, and something that I probably haven't thought about at all is if there's any coverage um, to help sort of protect the throwing there. So, yeah, well, that's a great point, mate. So on that de defensive side of the lineout, what's your process and what are you trying to focus on to disrupt the opposition? Yeah, so defensive line, uh, again, is, is a tricky one. Just sometimes I've played in, you know, a couple of different teams and sometimes people go, we want you to read. Sometimes they want just pods in the air. So it's sort of um, on the, the idea of what the team wants. But... A lot of the time it'll be, oh, my cues are, I'm watching, you know, the back hip of my jumper. If he's going forward, then I'll go forward. If he's going back, I'll go back. Or if I'm at the front, I'm sort of watching the hooker. They're all, uh, you know, if, when his elbow goes back, I'm jumping to sort of try and get the, the ball, for example. But yeah, it's just sort of on what the team wants. There's multiple different styles of defensive lineouts, you know, single man pods, two pods, and the, you know, in a, say a seven man defensive lineouts. Um, I suppose it's what works for your team and then just drill that. Um, I know with Vikes this year, we sort of, we're trying to improve our reading, you know, defensive read, watching other teams, but we were just slow. Like that's, it pains me to say because I love Vikings, but we were we weren't up to the mark, um, and we had to go back to I suppose more simple, but two pods or a single man and a pod that was floating. But in my opinion, I'd prefer to get somebody up, put a little bit of pressure on, than not get anyone up at all. Um, because even if you go up and you're nowhere near the ball, sometimes it sort of spooks the hooker, and they might you know, throw overthrown or something like that. Um, so that's probably my biggest take from defensive lineouts. Mm, that's some great points there, mate. And when do you know, like, I'll just m make that decision to, uh, yeah, we're going up here or we're, go we're not going to go up and attack that mall instead. Like, um, let's say you're in inside the 22, 15 meters out or 10 or five meters out. When, when are you making that call to, yep, we're going to put pressure on that hooker to make sure he's gotten that money ball to, to his uh, teammate, or we're not going to lit our jump and we're just going to attack that more straight away? Yeah, I don't want to give too many of my secrets away, but um, sometimes um, <laughs> you, can almost, you can almost pick it. Like when you see a team, they kind of give it away. You see, you know, the two, the two lifters for the main lineup guy, they're really tight to him. So you can just sort of pick up on those little body language cues. Or for example, a lot of the time when you see like a lazy lifter, they'll have their hands on their knees, you know, they, um, in anywhere on the field, but if they're going to lift, they'll put their hands up. Just these little things that you can do in reviews to pick up on it. But with the whole deciding, you know, whether to jump or um, to 
you know, try and sack them all or swim through. I suppose the biggest one is backing yourself. Like if, if you want to go up and you feel like you can contest, all right, so be it, go for it. But if you want everyone to get behind you and sack them all or swim on them all, as I say, a, a lock, well, you've got to back yourself and be physical in that aspect as well. It's just having all those players around you, knowing what you're going to do. Um, because I've been in teams before where I've gone to jump and one person's lifted me and then somebody else hasn't. And that's my fault because I haven't communicated it. And then we've sort of we've missed the jump and then we've missed the sack and then we've missed the swim. And then basically their mall has completely formed and then we're on the back foot. So I wouldn't say I have like a definite, um, oh, what's the word? sort of process that I'm like, oh, every single time and, you know, within the 22, I'm going to do this. Like if it's five minutes out, I'm probably not going to get up, but I'll sort of assess what team I'm playing against, how those lifters are showing their hand and go, oh, I might go up here. And what I've picked up on is a lot of people, when they come into a mall, they'll just go their safest option. They go like a simple option, um, majority of the times to the middle because it's an easy place to form the mall. Um, so I know, okay, it's generally going to be in and around there because if you go to the front, you've got that risk of going out. If you go to the back, you know, there could be an overthrow risk. So it's generally in and around the middle, five meters out. And it's what, you know, that line out guy on the opposition, how he wants to defend it. So yeah, I hope I didn't ramble on a bit too much about that, but that's sort of my take from it. No, that was awesome, man. I think that's, that's really insightful. And something that I probably haven't focused on at all um, since being a coach um, and, and being out of the game for a while in terms of playing is is those little cues of the, the lifter. If he's there, hands are in his yeah. legs, he's probably not going to do something if his hands are up. Um, and it's probably something that young athletes probably haven't realized as well. Like all those little cues do add up and yeah. makes it a bit easier to read where you're going to be going. So I think that's that was awesome, mate. Yeah, another, another big cue that I've picked up on from reviewing as well is a lot of the time you'll see if guys are going to jump, they'll put their heel up and if they're going to lift, their heel comes down and it's that sort of their idea if they think they're going to be springy, for example, the heel being up. So if you're a young sort of athlete going into lineouts, try and paint your picture the exact same every single time. You know, whether that's a prop or a jumper, always look the same because if you give that slight little cue away, that's what, you know, good. I mean, I'm not saying I'm great. I've still got heaps of work to go, but line out guys are looking for, they're trying to assess those little things. And, you know, every team's doing review, even at amateur level, they're looking at those little cues. So that's the one big thing. I know that a lot of the time line out people was talk about trying to have even spacing, but it's also painting that same picture. Mm. No, I love that. That's awesome. So what does a, a successful and dominant lock look like in your eyes? Well, it's actually funny because I, I love watching second rowers. I'm sort of a second rower nerd, but um, some of them are very expansive. You know, say like uh, Maro Atoje, he's, he can, he's almost plays like a number six. And then you've got big physical locks like, for example, Backies both though, or 
Um, another big one was like Brad Thorne. So it's the sort of style that you want to play. For example, my own style, I'm probably not that expansive. I'm more of like try to be, try to be physical. Um, but I don't think, I think my frame, I still need to keep working on my physical size. Uh, if I want to sort of play like that. So it's picking how you're, um, physically, how like how your body is and how you can play like certain locks. So some guys are, as I said, you know, that back rower can play out wide and some guys are just that physical workhorse and, you know, picking what style you want to be and trying to be the best you can be at that style, if that makes any sense. No, it definitely does because there's, there's a whole bunch of different styles in terms of just any, any position over the field. And yeah, if you like, like you said, in the second row, if you want to be that really physical dominant aspect, or do you want to be able to have a little ball playing ability? Like um, Nick Frost sort of comes to mind or um, Jed Holloway, because they can move from lock to six as well. And they are really explosive and pretty fast athletes, but also got some really good hands as well. So I think if mm. you can sort of think about what you want to be and look at other athletes in, in similar position and just sort of see what they do do well and what you do well and just try and figure out the pieces of the puzzle together and then just um, explore really don't just be set in one way oh, I'm this type of lock like see see what else you can add to your game as well so um no some really good yeah, points there, and then yeah and make it your own as well I'm not saying like if you're a bigger guy oh just be a sort of workhorse and just be that sort of dominant lock, but just assess how you play and try and work on your strengths and then be good at them and then work on your weaknesses. Like I, I know, so say for example, my strength is probably work rate. I know I can be good at that, but I'm definitely still trying to work on my ball playing ability because that used to be something that I was shocking at. All I had was catch and run and that subtle sort of pass, a little bit of footwork, playing out the back, they're so important for a tight five player. Mm, 100%. I, th I think if you, if you can be a lock these days, that can also be a six. I think that makes a massive difference because um, it sort of seems like Australian rugby is, is wanting people to be very versatile. Like Tom Hooper is very versatile as well. He can play six, eight, and you can chuck him into the row as well. So if you can learn all or three or something along those lines. Um, who knows what opportunity you're going to have higher up. Say you've played second grade, first grade, or if you want to go on to play some rep footy or say super rugby, if that's your thing, then if you've had that experience and can be very versatile, you just don't know what opportunities are, are, are going to arise. For sure. So young athletes out there looking to join a senior club after finishing school, what advice do you have on finding the right club to give them the best support and opportunity to play rugby? Um, I think the biggest one is, you know, be yourself um, and be comfortable in your own skin. So when I first started playing rugby, I was very shy. I'm, I'm quite a shy, introverted guy. Um, have a lot of, you know, sort of anxieties and that around social situations. And when I was younger, I probably didn't really want to express myself. I didn't really want to talk or share too much in the team. And so a lot of people were just like, oh, he's a quiet guy. That's just how he is. But as soon as I sort of, you know, realized that it's sport, you're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to express yourself. 
um, be around the boys, like, you know, be silly if in, that's how you are or just be a sort of quiet guy if that's what you want to be, but just be comfortable in your own skin because as soon as I realised that, I got the best out of my footy. Um, so if you're a young athlete going through and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to this club, will you fit in? Do you have friends there? Will you be accepted how you are, who you want to be? I think that's the biggest one because if you're mentally happy, you're going to be playing the best footy, right? If you're on edge the whole time, you're not. That's my take on it. Mm. Mm. I love that. If you can find a place that can really add value and you can add value to the club, I think definitely go there and just, just sort of see what the vibe is as well. Do they have a good reputation for being good on the field, but also more importantly, being good off the field and does it fit your values and, yeah, because you don't want to go to a place where you're just, you're just not enjoying your rugby and you haven't really made any connections and you've tried to make connections off the field with your teammates and coaches. And if you don't feel valued, then I think you're just wasting your time. Go out there into another club that you feel valued because at the end of the day, your enjoyment and um, mental health and just being happy is so much more important than um, being at a club that you don't like. That's right, yeah. So this season, you took a big step in your career, mate, um, from my eyes, by taking up the captaincy for first grade. How did you find being a captain this season? Yeah, it sort of uh, fell into my lap a little bit because our, our regular captain, um, Seamus, is an absolute champion. He ended up um, suffering an injury. And then pretty much all the leaders were out injured at the same time. So I was the only person on the park. So I sort of got thrust into the captaincy. And then when they all came back, I was still the captain. So I was sort of like, oh, well, okay, this is, this is my role for the team. But at first I was really nervous. I sort of, as I said, I'm an introverted sort of guy. And in team situations, I sort of sometimes struggled to find my voice. Um, but it, it made me do that. So it was a massive um, learning curve and I think it was actually really good for me. Um, but the sort of captain that I wanted, I wanted to be was not some guy that sat in there and revved everyone up and carried on and swore and stamped his feet in the change room. I sort of wanted to be a guy who delivered on the park. You know, if I'm telling you to make tackles, well, I better be making them myself. So I wanted to be leading by uh, my actions um, and then just giving the boys some, you know, concise kind of words or ideas of how we're going to target each game uh, instead of, you know, every single week just being that rev up guy because a lot of the time those hype guys, they might work for some, but they don't work for everyone. And I feel like, although, you know, I'm obviously at an amateur level, you need to, you need to be switched on yourself. You can't rely on somebody else to do it for you. So that captain really, in my eyes, is just sort of showing the team the way of where they, you know, where they need to go in this game, for example. Like each team may be different that you're playing against. Mm, I like that. I, re I really do. And it's, you, it sounds like you're not trying to be something that you're not. And you don't yeah. want that captaincy to sort of change you to be a whole different type of leader because that's probably not how you got the job. You probably got the job for being you and being the type of person you are. So 
if you can elevate yourself and, and still work on some things and, and change some little things, obviously, but not go to a whole different persona. Like if you're still you, but now more people are listening to what you have to say. And then, like you said, if I'm, if, if I want you to do something, I'm going to have to go do it myself. And I know yeah. it just sort of reminds me of, of Alan and, and, and slips for, from the Brumbies, like slips is the captain now for the Wallabies. And it seems like he is a very similar in, in terms of captain, like he's, he's very cool, calm and collected type of guy. He seems like a bit of an introvert, but um, he'll go out there and do the work. And when he talks, yeah. everyone is listening. And it's the same with Alan. Alan doesn't really seem like he's going to hype you up or anything, even though he gets really hyped up out there when he puts a big shot on. But he just he seems does. like he, they're, they're very relaxed type of people and um, just lead by example. And then when they talk, people listen and go out there and just, just do the work. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think what you said there, one hundred percent. I don't want to be something that I'm not, but I want to engage with everyone because that's the other thing that I feel like um, the captaincy gives you as well. You have to be that player that mingles with everyone, and that was massive again for me because you know there were some guys that you know just different sort of people that you're not really best mates with, but you have to you know get the best out of them on the field and off the field as well, make them feel included. Because uh, that's what I think the, the best captains do. They lead, but they also include everyone, if that makes any sense. No, it does make sense. And, and that's that's probably one of the, the biggest challenges as, as a captain. Can you, you don't have to get along with everyone, but can you make sure everyone is heard and um, feels valued in your team? And it's not just sort of the same four to five people speaking all the time. It's like, hey, you over there, like, Obviously, you'd know their name, but like, say, little Timmy's over there. Timmy, what do you think about this? You know, what's what's your thoughts? And they might hold something um, like a really good point of view that you haven't thought about or no one else has thought about, or they might even challenge what you're saying. You're like, wow, that's actually a really good point of view. And I'm surprised no one else said that. So, yeah, I think if you, you can really make sure everyone feels valued and, and feels like you're part of a team where everyone's voice and opinion is, is valid, then you're doing a really good job as a captain. But at the end of the day, you, you, you have to make the final decision, but at least, you know, my thoughts have been heard and I've shared them and whatever you decide, I'm, I'm fully supporting you as a, as a teammate, if you're my captain. Mm. So moving on to one of my favorite um, sub, uh, topics that we like to talk about here, Triple H. So shout out to the goat of the wrestling world this is where the uh, thing comes from. But um, we're going to be talking about a hardship, a hero, and a highlight as well. Speaking about wrestling, you know, we're, we're talking about Triple H now. So hardship, can you think of a hardship in your rugby career that sort of stands out? And how did you get through this hardship? And what did you learn along the way? Yeah, so probably hardship was I ended up... Um, I left my sort of support network. You know, I've grown up in Canberra um, pretty much my whole life. Um, so I ended up leaving uh, to go to Sydney to go play in the shoot deal, uh, which is, uh, an, again, an amateur competition in Australia, but um, much bigger city than Canberra. And I was sort of, I was away from my, my girlfriend. I was away from my parents. I sort of did that big move um, going to a club and I probably struggled a little bit. I didn't realize it was going to be as hard as I, I thought. Um, and I have, now that I've done it, I have, sorry, mate, I have so much respect for players that yeah. move to 
uh, other clubs because they, you know, they're leaving that sort of support network and they're trying to find another one. And I sort of, I didn't do as well as I would have hoped. Um, and I sort of slipped into some mental health issues and footy kind of became the last sort of thing that I really cared about. And I was there immersed in footy and I didn't really give a stuff about it. And I sort of realized like I'm not doing myself any favors here and the rugby club that I'm playing for, I'm not doing them any favors because I'm not getting the best out of myself and I'm not performing for them. And they've put all this time and effort into me. And I realized like at the end of the day, although we're, you know, all athletes, we want to do our best in footy. It's, it is just a bit of fun. And if you're not having fun, if it's making you, you know, sad or upset, what's the point sort of thing. So that would probably be my hardship moving away um, and not sort of putting a little bit of pressure on myself and then not really coping with it properly. Um, and then probably spending years, oh, you know, probably a year after that, just sweeping those feelings under a rug, not addressing them. So that would be my hardship. The next one was, was it Hero? Yeah, hero, mate. So who is your hero and why is this person your hero? Um, it's probably my old man's uh, father, so my, my grandfather. Uh, he was uh, a second rower himself. Uh, his nickname was Big Mac. Uh, he was in the army. Uh, he was a really cool <laughs> character. I love that. Um, he, he actually, until recently, he has the, or had the most um like jumps out of a plane like paragliding uh in combat in all of australia or something he used to teach people how to jump out of a plane and he had all these wow. cool war stories and I, I you know he was like my hero when i was a little kid i used to always sit on his lap and he'd just tell me different you know i jumped over enemy lines that the other i mean he could have just been an old fellow that was telling me lies but i thought he was an absolute <laughs> champion of bloke um and I just wanted to be like Big Mac. So um, rest in peace, my old granddad. Uh, he, he's definitely my hero. That's awesome, mate. Um, and the last one, highlight. What is a highlight that stands out so far in your rugby career? Um, you know, it's actually goes in hand with um, hardship. As I said, I sort of, you know, I struggled when I left and, um, mentally sort of went down, you know, I, I quite, a, I went to a dark place to be honest. Um, and the highlight was sort of fixing myself, you know, going and, you know, seeking help and then improving and then just slowly getting better and better. And then, you know, for Vikings, like putting some really good performances together for my club that I love and then realizing like footy is so much fun and, you know, falling back in love with the game. So that's probably my highlight there. No, that's awesome, mate. Thanks for sharing all those. And yeah, we can all find ourselves in, in dark times at um, during our lives and just, just make sure that you, you can identify it because I don't know people can go a long time without realizing that they're not doing so well. So if you aren't doing so well, 
just put your hand up and, and reach out to someone, you know, because it, it makes a massive difference, especially towards your rugby. If, if, if rugby is the, the area that's giving you some hard times, you might have to take a step back and move back to your family because you, you do need that support network. And like, like you said, if you are moving over to a different club from a different country or a different state, make sure that you, that you don't lose those connections and try and make some new connections because you can at times feel quite lonely and um yeah you just don't want to go down that rabbit hole so make sure that you, you do put your mental health first and and um, reach out if you do need help yeah and i think as well like if you're a player in that team welcoming someone just try and pick up on a few cues you know like it's massive to leave your sort of family support network. Some people cope with it really well, but others don't. And that's where it's, you know, it's big to just sort of check in when you can. You don't have to be that, you know, that weird guy that wants to be having DMMs all the time, but just sort of like, how you going? Like, how's your family? Is everything all good? Uh, because, you know, that's massive. And mm. sometimes those players can boost your team, you know, having someone from elsewhere, that's just a new sort of energy and insight to the team. Mm. And and from a coach and, and player's perspective, having those little check-ins and, and conversations makes a massive difference because someone could have, no, no one could have asked them that question for a while. How are you going? How's the family going? And they, they really want to share that with someone, you know? So those little conversations make a massive difference. And I highly recommend coaches, um, support staff, teammates, always reach out to your teammates and just, just ask them how they're going, how's the family going, how's life going as well. 100%. So that's all the, the questions I have for today, mate. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your day after a big night of uh, presentation night that you had. Um, Cam did win best and fairest. So uh, yeah, it was a great achievement there, mate. So where, where can people find you on social media if they do want to reach out and have some questions for you? Um, oh, mate. Uh, Instagram. There's, uh, that's probably the, the best one to reach out to me. Uh, it's just got photos of me and my missus just hanging out. But yeah, um, if anyone wants to talk to me, 100% hit me up. But, yeah, I'm just an amateur fellow, just a battler, a friggy that loves his rugby and, you know, love and love at the moment. Yeah, it's 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 awesome, mate. I re really appreciate you taking time out and, and sharing some really awesome tips, you know. Those line-out stuff, I think um, people are going to get a lot out of it. So um, thanks again, mate, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Elite Rugby SNC podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify and YouTube, and make sure you follow us on Instagram. Sign up to come a beast via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also, remember to sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content each and every single week. So don't wait, make that good decision, and join Elite Rugby SNC today and take your game to the next level. Thanks for listening.